0: Welcome back, pool fans from across the country and around the world. You are listening to American Billiard Radio. Today is September the 18th, 2014. And of course, my name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week. And we're uh, going to send out a congratulations to Darren Appleton. He was uh, the winner at the inaugural 14 uh, 1 American Championship this past week. So uh, hats off to him for that. And, of course, uh, Karen Corr also made an awesome showing at that event. And uh, we have to give a little nanny-nanny boo-boo to uh, Mike Deshane for getting his butt stomped by Karen. So, yeah, anyway, that was kind of funny. Um, What else is going on? Well, you know, congratulations to Matchroom Sports. Uh, They're getting their... uh, Getting ready for the uh, ninth annual World Cup of Pool, and uh, they just announced that uh, the in uh, the entire event is going to be streamed on ESPN three. So uh, we in America will get to see it uh, if you have access to ESPN three. Uh, if not. Go to watchespn.com and uh, check out how you can uh, uh, tune into that. It's going to be an exciting, exciting event. Uh, we're taking Shane and, and Earl uh, up against some of the best players on the planet. So it's uh, really going to be something to see. Um, and of course, right now, as we speak, the Turning Stone Nine Ball Championship is underway. A uh, really great event that uh, Mr. Mike Zuglin has been putting on us uh, for us, and uh, the matches are underway. And um, you know, we talked to Mike about it a little bit earlier, and uh, this is what he had to say. Okay, Mike. So uh, the Turning Stone uh, Nine Ball is underway, and uh, how are things going for you this year?
1: Uh, things are going great, as they usually do here. We have a, a great crew, great staff, and everything set up went just fine. Um, no no hitches. Everything is just uh, business as usual. Another great tournament here at Turning Stone.
0: Good, good, good. Now, how many years in a row has this been going on?
1: Well, this is the 22nd tournament. But uh, there was a period of time, and we're still doing uh, two a year, actually, but we didn't do two last year because of uh, um, um, some uh, repairs that needed to be done here in the event center. So we kind of got bumped along with a couple other events. But uh, we're hmm. back to two again. We're going to have another one here in January right. of 2015, the 8th through the 11th of January. So uh, okay. as far as how many years, uh, I think it's 14 years, but this is the 22nd tournament
0: okay excellent should we be expecting anything new this year um anything new and different or is it just you know sort of the same process and everything else
1: well it's uh no uh, actually nothing new other than what's new here at turning stone you know in the casino and the Mm -hmm. restaurants etc but uh as far as the tournament goes uh um there really was no need to change anything it's uh Good. it just seems like it uh it, it's something that uh people want to play in. I, I have a uh, full field with yeah 50 players on a waiting list again and you know it's uh what what whatever needed to be changed uh, I wasn't aware of
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well yeah don't fix it if it isn't broke that's that's for sure that's um,
1: kind of re- what I meant, <laughs> in yeah, a roundabout way.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it looks like you guys have got just an outstanding list of players that are going to be there this year, too. It's um, pretty exciting.
1: It's always always an outstanding list. Great players, great players, and there's going to be some great matches. You just never know when they're going to pop up. That's why you have to be here to see it. There's 16 matches going on at a time for the first uh two and a half to three days, uh, and and any match could be uh, the best match you ever saw at any given time. So, you know, there's nothing like being here. We do have the free live stream, uh, but you're limited to what's going on in that table and maybe a table or two around it. But, um, you know, at any point, anything could happen.
0: Yeah, I understand there is going to be a free stream. Um, Where can people check that out at?
1: You can go right on azbilliards.com, dot com, right on their front page. Okay. And there should be a link for uh for the turning stone. Um I don't know exactly how it's worded. I haven't I haven't looked at it uh yet. I don't really have time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh but I know that it's there. And okay. I know that uh we have upstate Al Al Leon here doing the uh live stream. Excellent. And uh Jerry Forsyth and Mike howerton are gonna are here and um they're doing the uh the live brackets and the live scoring as well on azbilliards.com.
0: Excellent, excellent. Excellent. Well, it sounds like it's going to be another winner. So uh, I'm just going to get out of your hair and let you get back to it and wish you the best of luck and, uh, you know, keep your head up.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, remember, next one is January 8th to the 11th, 2015. I haven't taken any entries for that tournament yet. I wasn't going to do it until the tournament started. But right now, um, um, I am taking entries. When the cutoff point for the tournament is when it's full. It's open to the first 128 paid players, okay. and it will fill. So, if anybody is interested in playing, some of you 50 people that are on that waiting list, now the time. Yeah. Actually, give me a day or two before after the tournament's over. If you're not here, <laughs> yeah. and If you are here, you can walk right up to me and pay your entry fee. You're in.
0: Awesome. But uh,
1: yeah, if anybody wants to enter, now's the time.
0: Awesome. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk to you again real soon, I'm sure. Thank you. All right. Take care.
2: Hi, I'm Scott Lee and Randy G and this is the one-minute pool instructor might take us two minutes here Oh just might because you know what we're going to talk about mother drills today yep. Certainly part of your SOP isn't it?
3: Yes, it is. So yes, first of is. all
2: uh, What are mother drills and why do we do them? I mean there's thousands of drills out
3: there. Yes well, I think first of all the mother drills are drill specifics First three mother drills, mother drill one, two, and three, are all about you and your body. They're all about how you move your cue stick. They're all about your timing, your swing, your sequence,
2: and your template.
3: So, yeah, mother drills one, two, and three are all about us.
2: Yep, they, they build our stroke process, don't they?
3: Yeah, before we ever shoot a shot. Right. Then, mother drills four, five, six, and seven are the remaining skill drills that we have to have to play an adequate game of pool. Right. Stop shots, draw shots, follow shots, cut shots, etc.
2: Being able to hit the cue ball where you're aiming. Yeah. Speed so, control.
3: Speed control. That's a mother drill. So and let's talk about 1, 2, and 3. Mother drills 1, 2, and 3.
2: I get asked for them a lot. I do too. And what's your, what's your answer? Well, I tell people, you know, certainly I could send you a copy yeah, of the Mother and right. People have said, hey, I'm willing to pay for them. The, the real problem is that the drills by themselves only represent one side of the knowledge. They, right. they take a trained observer who knows what to look for to help the student realize the value that they can get out of the mother drills.
3: Outside educated eyes.
2: Absolutely.
3: So yeah, most mother drills are done under the presence of an instructor.
2: And they are part of the SPF process. Oh yeah.
3: Oh yeah. So when we send a student home then, they've already done their
2: mother drills four or five times in pool school. Absolutely, and they know what their template is, they know where their start and finish position is, they've determined their own uh, cadence and rhythm and timing of how they set up, getting ready to deliver the cue, and then how they actually deliver the cue when they hit the ball.
3: So Scott, if we have, uh,
2: pick a number, three students in school,
3: Are all three students got the same cadence, the same timing, the same rhythm?
2: Very likely not. Very likely, I agree. So Uh, the first thing is that we try to help our students figure out what is their own sense of timing and rhythm. Right. And and the way we do that is by uh, recording them on video uh, initially and then seeing if they number one know what they do and number two do the same thing the same way every time and be no what, or three, know why they do what they yeah. do. Because the whole objective is to do the same thing the same way every time on an unconscious level. That's how we actually play pool. So I'm going to make a statement here. I never find mother drills boring. Never. Because it's information. Well, and I can, once my process is ingrained, I can do uh, a mother drill maybe two, three times uh, two or three shots and I'm done. I'm done too. It gives me enough feedback to keep my stroke totally in tune. Red light, green light. Red light, green light, absolutely. So mother drills
3: need a qualified instructor or qualified person, extra set of eyes, I'd give them to everybody and know what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, So they're just not something that you read out of a book and you go do.
2: No, and you know, a lot of guys post, actually they post up their videos on on yes, uh, YouTube they do. and they want us to give them evaluation. And it depends on who's given the evaluation, what kind of feedback they're going to get out of it.
3: And in our students get a report card along with their evaluation, they so do. they can a day later, a month later, a year later, look at their progress
2: and and grade themselves again. Absolutely, and we see uh, the majority of our students, 90 to 95 percent, are very successful with this process. So mother drills are training drills that will make your game dependable, repeatable, but they do need help. And they start out with ingraining your own personal process process yeah a your S-O-D. own no, not mine you right. don't
3: want my process
2: <laughs> everybody's got their own it's finding out what it is and how to make it work yeah and that's successful. a neat part
3: of school too is it getting is. each of their personal processes oh when together. the light
2: goes on it's that's the greatest that's thing that's the for green us light is it yep all right this is Randy G I'm Scott Lee thank you guys thanks for listening the one-minute pool instructor we'll see you again
4: Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. I'm your host, Mark Cantrell, and uh, this week I've got another guest. We, almost well, two weeks ago, I think two or three weeks ago, we had Mike Howerton on the show, and he talked to us about Easy Billiards and how it began and those kind of things. And so, I wanted to get his partner in crime, Mr. Jerry Forsyth, on the line with us. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Mark. How are you today, buddy? Good. Um, you know, you, you're kind of uh, a little bit of a mystery man. That sounds silly, but everybody in the pool industry knows who you are. A lot of people who are simply pool fans know who you are. Mm-hmm. But we don't know a whole lot about you. Um,
5: don't you don 't know why you know who I am <laughs>
6: yeah
4: <laughs> well <laughs> yeah that's it, it's kind of true and you you 've always been when it, when I first got into uh the pool of billiards business, you do nothing but you 've never done anything but try and help me and support anything that i did and i I think you do that with a lot of different people but what what I want to know is let's let 's start at the very beginning. How did you get into the pool business in the first place?
5: Uh, Well, I'll try and make a long story short. I played pool my whole life from the time I was a little kid. I mean, one of my earliest memories, you you probably aren't old enough to remember this, but they used to have a game for little kids made with a square wooden board called caroms. And it was just um, wooden, flat wooden dowels. Uh, actually, little wooden donuts that you put on the board, and you had a little cue stick, and you try to shoot the wooden donuts into the corner pockets. And I just fell in love with it. So, so when I was in, uh, I guess, junior high school, no, wait, I would have I was, let me think a minute, buddy, I was 14, so I would have been in high school.
4: It's a long and, time ago, isn't it?
5: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 1963, no, 1961, yeah. Uh, Anyway, a pool room opened near me. Now, there had been a pool room in downtown Greensboro, North Carolina, where I grew up for years and years and years and years, called Don's Billiards, and it was a legendary pool room until it burned down. And there was an older man who lived around the corner from me who worked for the Greensboro newspaper, and he was one heck of a gambler at pool. And he knew me just from the neighborhood. So his thing is he would pick me up and take me down to Don's when I was, I mean, really little, eight, nine years old, and just sit there and watch me knock the balls around. Well, soon, you know, somebody would joke and come over and say, would you like to play for $5? And I would say, no. But my grandfather here will play you. He just likes action. And, the guy, and he would tear him up. I mean, he won more money off of me. And I would sit there and watch and laugh and just have the best time. But that's really what started me in, in pool, was these little trips down to Don's Billiards. And then a pool room opened up near me, which was a Brunswick family billiards room called Mr. and Mrs. Cuball. And Moscone came to open it, as he did with all the Brunswick pool rooms. I got to play Moscone and uh, got an autographed picture of him and got a, uh, a Brunswick Titleist Willie Hoppy cue, Q, two-piece cue, Q, that I bought in that pool room with a case, a soft you know, vinyl case, for $18. And now those cues are going for like $600 just so you can have the butt. I mean, it's amazing. Wow. Uh, No longer have that cue. But that's really what started me was just just playing. And then I played um, all through my professional career. I was in the printing industry. uh, But I was fortunate, very fortunate in the printing industry and was able to retire in my 40s. And pretty soon was driving my wife crazy, so she told me to find something to do. So I went to to Randy Gottlicker's Q School and was so impressed with all the knowledge that he had to impart uh, and how much he picked up my game. I mean, it was amazing. I went from being a a C-plus player to a B-plus player in three days because of Randy Gottlicker. And um, so I wrote an article about it and sent it into Pool and Billiard magazine. Well, I was a subscriber to Pool and Billiard magazine and Billiards Digest and, you know it didn't come out and I didn't hear anything from Pool and Billiard, so I figured they'd just, you know, put it in the trash can. Well lo and behold, one day I get my Pool and Billiard magazine and my article is featured on the front cover. And it splashed all over the, the middle spread of, of the magazine about Q School <clears throat> or QTech in Dallas for Randy Gauntlet. And there, on the um, publisher's page, site, you know, the, from the editor's desk column, um,
6: okay.
5: there's a, a note from the editor saying, "We'd like to welcome our new tournament director, Jerry Forsyth, to the staff of Pool and Billiard Magazine." So I called the editor and, and got, her, got her on the phone and said, "Hi, this is Jerry Forsyth." And she said, "Oh my God, tell me you haven't gotten your magazine yet." And I said, yeah, I did. She said, "Boy, I really meant to call you. <laughs> she said, can you travel? And I said, as long as you're paying for it. <laughs> and she said, can you take a pic- picture? And I said, yeah, I used to be a photographer at Alderman Studios in High Point, North Carolina, a furniture photographer. She said, great. I said, well, no, not so great. I don't have a camera. She said, go buy one and send me the bill. So I went out and bought a nice camera and- Sent her the bill and she paid it and I started going to Pootron. But at first it was like one weekend every couple of months. Then it became one weekend every month. Then it was every weekend because things were this was, you know, late eighties, early nineties sometime, and things things were really building. Um, so I was traveling every weekend. And then um uh, Sherry Stock was the editor of Pool and Billiard at this time, and she and Mike Pinozo of Billiards Digest said, "Look, why are we each sending a reporter to these events? Let's send Jerry and split his expenses, and and he'll write two separate articles and he'll get two paydays." Well, that worked out great, you know. So, I was going to events, getting paid twice for it. They saved money, I made money. It was it was marvelous. And then they sent me over to the Moscone Cup um, in the late '90s. I'm going to say '90 eight something like that and i always get to the events early so that i can set up my lights with the cameras and get the right position and all that sort of stuff and back in those days you had to use light meters you know to read the light around the room so you'd know what you'd be shooting anyway i was there i'd finished setting up i still had an hour before they were going to let the rest of the cattle in the room and this guy comes up and starts talking to me and i go oh this is what all i need somebody to waste my time so he sits there and talks to me and talks to me and talks to me and talks to me and, to me and finally says, um, I'm Rory Hopkins. I'm the executive producer for Sky Broadcasting and I'd like to make a commentator out of you. So he put me in the booth with Sid Widell for the very first match of that year's Moscone Cup and I've been doing the Moscone Cup ever since.
4: <laughs> and they Isn't it funny how things happen? You know, and it, here's the thing. I've got my list here of bullet points I things I want to talk to you about, and you're just going off and covering them, so I, I don't even need to be on the phone, I don't think, anymore. You just keep okay, going.
5: Why don't you just hang up, and I'll record this then. Because
4: <laughs> 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 that was going to be one of my next questions. Is cause, and, as you go along through this interview, people who are listening who maybe only know your name from Easy Billions forums, maybe, Um uh, As we go along, we're going to see a lot of the things that you have done and are involved with. Um, And I was going to ask, how did the Moscone Cup start? Because uh, I didn't know you'd been doing it from day one. Uh, The Moscone
5: Cup started in 91 or 92, and I didn't come on board until, like, 97 or 98. But Jim White was already on board. And uh, I knew Jim wasn't real close to him at that time, but after we started doing commentary together, because we did the Moscone Cup and the Whirlpool Championships in Cardiff um, and the Whirlpool Championships in Manila. Uh, I mean, just we traveled together all over the place for, uh, for, for Sky and for uh, ESPN. I mean, we, there, there was a lot of broadcasting back in the 90s, so there was plenty of work.
4: Jim White is uh, is a hell of a guy as well. I mean, he's a great friend of mine. I I, I love that guy so best.
5: He's one of the finest human beings there's ever been. He's just he's just a class act.
4: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, but you, you 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 your first in, your first commentary with Moscone, with the Moscone Cup was with Sid Waddell. Right now, there is a character and a half. Well, it was a character and a half, I guess. Um,
1: well,
5: I, I had been a newscaster, so I was used to cameras and microphones and all that
4: sort of stuff. That didn't bother me. But well, he, he, he could he, he make, he make uh, a pen, watching paint dry exciting. Well, that's the thing. In
5: 30 seconds into the uh, broadcast, I realized I'm his co-commentator, and I don't understand a word he's saying because he's got, <laughs> this, he's got this heavy northern accent. <laughs> And I really don't have a clue. <laughs> so right. a lot of the times I go, "That's right, Sid," and you know, <laughs> and,
6: and,
5: and just go on from there because I couldn't comment on what he said. But it was yeah. But, but I tell you what, doing broadcasts with Sid Waddell, there's just nothing that, that in my life that was much more fun than that. He was a great guy. But people don't realize that Sid Waddell was an, an utter genius, and he knew. Uh, Shakespeare and Marlowe and all those boys backwards and forwards. He could quote from every Shakespearean play. And uh, the guy was just absolutely a brilliant, brilliant man. That, that wasn't um, a fluke that he could come with all those similes and metaphors and, and phrases. Uh, he was educated, highly educated, and uh, did a great job at what he did. He was a real pro. He worked on that stuff very hard.
4: Well, the first I think the first time well, I ever heard him was uh, he did commentary for the darts in right. uh, in right. England. Right. And darts in England, I don't know what it's like now, but in the late 70s and through the 80s, it was a big deal. I mean, if you were a professional right. dart player, you were probably a millionaire. Right,
6: right.
4: And... Uh, you know, he had all these lines that he would come up, give people nicknames and uh, I mean go on darts, how exciting can darts be.
5: That's but he made it. it. That always amazed me about Sid. You could take something as <laughs> boring as guys throwing darts at a board seven feet away and make it exciting.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well uh, and and you so you've been doing it and you're gonna be in Blackpool again this year? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's I'm good. going to Blackpool. Never been to Blackpool. This will be my first trip to Blackpool. It's a it's a fun place. I don't know how I don't know how fun it will be in December, but uh, it's it's a it's a fun place.
6: Yeah. Well, okay. it
4: it'll be yeah. it shut down. Well, it'll be shut down when you go.
5: Yeah.
4: Uh, it's okay.
5: Well, they keep us pretty busy anyway. It's not like we have time to do stuff.
4: So. Right. Um. So, how did it, let, let me see if, if I move move forward a little bit in time. What's your recollection? Mike told us his version of of it, but how did he get involved with AZ Billions? Well,
5: I met Mike at the on the Camel Pro Tour, and we just became friends, as I recall, almost immediately. Um, we we share a, a sense of humor and some life experiences and stuff, and um, we got to be real close real fast. And at that point, this was in 2006, 2007, I guess, Um, A.Z. Billiards was really starting to grow. He had taken it from the local publication to a national publication, and he was getting international readership. And... um, we, we realized that there was a market out there for uh, internet video streaming of professional football. Because a lot of these, especially like the Camel Tour, you had the best players in the world gathered and not, not a camera in the room. You know, nobody, if you weren't there, the experience was lost. You couldn't, you couldn't see it. So we wanted to start a video arm that would not only give people a chance to see these great players in action, but also record them for posterity so that a 100 years from now, somebody can see Johnny Archer playing pool, Earl Strickland playing pool. So he asked me to uh, uh, come on board as a partner. So we agreed on a price that I would pay him, um, and uh, I came on board, and we started AZBTV. And we bought, oh, I think we bought, spent like $20,000 on video equipment, and we started doing these free video streams. Well, within six months, we were, when we first were out there, there were only a couple of people who had done this at all. Pat Fleming, and I can't remember if there was even another one before we we I'm not going to say we were the first other than Pat, but
0: we were among
5: the first. Well, all of a sudden, there were streamers coming out of every freaking corner. And we were telling people we would come um, if they would just cover our expenses, right? We'll come record your tournament. We'll broadcast it to everybody on the Internet for free so people can see your event, and all you got to do is pay our travel expenses, and we'll give you receipts for those. We'll give you the airline receipts, the hotel receipts, the restaurant receipts. You don't have to... Wonder if we're being up straight, up, up, you know, upfront with. Well, that was fine. Then other streamers would call them and say, "Hey, we'll cover our own expenses. We'll pull money out of our pocket to come stream your event." Well, we couldn't blame people for taking others up on that offer, right? right. Even though we were using better cameras, we were using better computers. The stream looked better, but. When it comes to mm, probably $2,500 or free, you will accept a lower quality broadcast out of your event. Right. And that just about put us out of business. I mean, at least it did put us out of the video business. We would still do a few things like Turning Stone and all that sort of stuff. Turning Stone, Mark Griffin's events, and, you know, those things. But really the market had gone to hell because there were so many people willing to do it for free, for nothing. So anyone who wanted to make a business out of it, which is what it should be, was just screwed. Well, <clears throat> time goes by, and all these people who were doing it at no charge, all that have gone out of business, are gone now. So we gave, because the, the, the website itself has gotten so large, I mean, it's, I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of times larger it is now than it was in 2008, but it's it's immense compared to what it was then. And it was taking our full time, so, or it does take our full time. So we turned AZBTV over to Al Leon, who's running it now, out of New York. And we just shipped him our equipment and said, go for it. And uh, That's uh, upstate Al, right? Yeah, that's upstate Al. So we... We partner with Al now on AZB TV. Um, we don't partner with him financially. He gets the income from AZB TV. Um, but uh, we do partner with him to promote his streams because he does really good. He does, we met Al at Turning Stone years and years and years ago. We're very impressed with the guy because he does a great job. So that's where that is. AZBTV is now run by Al Leon and Mike, and I are very, very busy with AZB.
4: Well, AZBillions.com. I say it. I I don't know of any other. Well, there are other pool and billions websites out there, but the, AZBillions is the place to go. It's the biggest. It's got the most following. and if there's anything you need to know about pool, internationally or nationally. You can find it. And if, if it's not posted somewhere, you go to those forums, and I tell people this all the time. If I don't know the answer to a question, who won the World 8 Bowl in 92, I can post it up there and I guarantee within an hour I'll probably have the answer.
5: Oh, absolutely. And if you know how to use the site, you can find the answer on the site. Right. But that's that's one of the that's one of the big problems we have now. The site <laughs> has become so complex that nobody knows how to use it. So we're going to put up a we're going to have a video made that literally tells you how to navigate AZ Billiards because people don't realize there are, there are six over sixteen thousand home pages of pro players from around the world that are on AZB, but most people don't know how to get to them. Um, you can you can take any player in the world and see every tournament he's ever played in, Efren Reyes, every tournament he's ever played in, where he finished, how much money he made, who else was in the event, where they finished, how much money they made, and see all the stories written about Efren and that event and all the photos taken at that event for every player out there. I mean, we oh. have... We have an, an unbelievable volume of information about pool on that website, and people don't don't even know it. They don't they they use the front page. They go to the front page so they can click on the word forums up at the top. If they would stay on the front page and click some of those other tabs up there besides forums, they would be amazed at the information that's available on AZB.
6: That, and that you
4: know, these you know I'm not very computer literate, but. I mean, at some point you got sixty, you got sixty. That's just the professional players. That's all we're problem. talking about. We that's just we, that. haven't
5: even, we haven't even started our. We, we're, AZ Billiards as, as huge as it is, still has a lot more to go. We're going to do the same thing for the amateur game.
4: Well, uh, how much time to compile and, and put these things together did it take? I mean, that's.
5: It took us four years to redo the website with the new look and the new body of information. And the reason is, when I say that a player has a homepage, right, and you can go to that homepage and see what he's won this year, last year, the year before, throughout his whole career, all that sort of stuff. Those pages don't exist physically. But when you put in, like, Mika Eminent or Johnny Archer, and say, take me to his homepage, The computer says, okay, who do I need to build a homepage for? Oh, Mika Eminent. So it it automatically knows from the name Mika Eminent which databases to go in to throw information up on that page. And in a split second, I mean literally thousandths of a second, computers can take all the information out of all the databases that Mika Eminent is in and display it on that page. It creates it. And that's why it took so long because you have to go into every world championship, for instance, and tag that world championship to each player's name who played in that world championship and tag the year so that it will show up on his homepage. And that, you can't believe the work that that took.
4: No, I can't. It blows my mind just hearing you talk about it. So, um, but it's, 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 definitely, it's come a long way and, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's the best website, Paul and Billy's related website in, in the world. So, uh, you guys have done a good job and obviously you're going to be doing more with it. Um, now, another side of Jerry Forsyth, you're also involved with the WPA.
5: Well, I was.
4: You're not anymore?
5: No. No, I was on the board of directors of the WPA um, <clears throat> for, I don't know, three or four years, I guess. But um, the travel involved with that just, just got to be too much, and I, ju- I just had to quit it. Um, you know, I'm 67 years old. It, getting, you know, leaving the house and knowing that you're going to Xinjiang, China, and you're not going to be able to sit or be comfortable again for 37
6: hours because the rest of the time you're going to be in airport. Um,
4: I was I was trying to think are you, now what are you, how were you involved with the BCA? Um. Are you, you, well, you because you're media, you have a vote with the uh, Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, yeah.
5: I'm on the Hall of Fame committee. Anybody that's in the billiards media is that's just sort of an automatic thing. My relationship with the BCA goes a lot deeper than that, though. I mean, back in uh, when I first came on board in in 2008, I think it was that year, 2008 or so. Um. Professional pool didn't have a uh, a way of send of deciding who who America would send to World Championships. So Mike and I came up with a ranking system, uh, which was largely based on um, um, the Power Index that Billiards Digest did at the time. Uh, But we took some of the things, a lot of the things we didn't like about that that system, and changed them. to make one for America that would you know, really show the best American players. So we came up with the BCA ranking system, which we, to this day, maintain for them. Um, and that way the BCA knows who the best players in America are, the Americans have a ranking, and they are chosen by that ranking to go to international events. Although that's become very problematic now that we have so very few events in America, you realize last year we had either twelve or thirteen professional events in America, and this year we've got like three. (laughs) Is it
7: it, it really going down that much? Well,
6: yeah. I
5: think about we we only have one turn. The only professional, the only fully professional events that you don't, that you can't say, well, really, that's a regional event, are um, the U.S. Open. um, Tony Stall. Turning Stone, which is only one of this year because they had to remodel the room during their dates during the winter, and, uh, and Derby City. And the rest of the events are either like Mark Griffin's or invitational, 16-man events. You can't put rankings on that. Right. Um, and all the other events that were here last year, they're gone.
4: Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a shame. Uh, it's definitely a shame that it's Kind of gone so far down,
5: well, downhill, the guys I feel sorry for are all these fellows who moved to America from overseas because it had an active pool scene, and at the, when at the time they did, like like when Mika moved over here, when Darren moved over here, those those the scene it was a good decision. But now
4: they could probably make more money in Europe. Well, well, the and the invitational thing. I mean, that's always not the invitational, the invites that the BCA have for the players, that's something that always kind of is uh, something of a debate, uh, just simply because it costs so much money to go to Doha or um, the Philippines or China, and, you know, they can get invited to these events, but let's say the top guy is, uh, I don't know, Oscar Dominguez, some guys ask you, Dominguez, say, Oscar, you got him, like, to go to the World Championships. And he looks, okay, it's going to cost me 3000 I just don't got 3000 And then you know, the odds are kind of stacked against me once I get there. And so yeah, you have to go to the next guy, the next guy. So Do you end know, up, when you get... What you, the key to what you just said is now the odds
5: are stacked against him once he gets there. That's true now. Ten years ago, that wasn't true. When Americans went overseas in the early 2000s, they were guaranteed to make money. 'cause they were the best right but but um, the rest of the world caught up with them, and now you're right it's a it's a real situation. Why would I risk a three thousand dollar expense to go play a bunch of Chinese and Filipinos and Taiwanese and, you know northern Europeans? I mean, who really wants to risk three thousand to go play Niels Fay and Ralph C.K.? You know it's just crazy,
4: yeah, i know I was having this conversation um. Not not too long ago, actually. Um, And it was with an older pro player. And he said at one point, if you looked at the brackets and you couldn't pronounce their name, it was basically a buy. You know, you just... You're guaranteed to win. Now, if you see a a name that you can't pronounce, you know you might be in trouble. Right. So... um, yeah, it's things have definitely changed, and the uh, uh, the Europeans, obviously. I mean, you, you you look at the Moscone Cup, and somebody said on the forums, you know, that it wasn't fair that Europe had all these countries to pick from; we just had Americans to pick from. Um, but I think, you know what? I think just Team England could probably, or Team UK could probably have a good chance against just about anybody you know, almost go in almost going to come south all
5: that oh yeah you could make a team UK you could make a team Germany you know you, know, you could make a, a team northern Europe Netherlands now I mean Nick Vandenberg and Niels Van, I mean you, you've got great players all over Europe now and, and it really has nothing to do with the population base The pop- if you look at the population base of all those countries the population base of America you're drawing from about the same population right um, The problem is that they're much more
4: serious about their game over there. Right. Well, I think the – well, yeah, we've got Turnstone coming up, um, and then the next one is the U.S. Open. What's your your feelings about the U.S. Open this year? There'll be some changes, you know, with the prize money and limited field. I'm very happy
5: that he's finally limiting the field, that we finally – don't have to go there and and wonder if we're going to be watching pool matches at 3 a.m. Right. So I think the limited field is is a giant step. I think that, for one thing, it makes it more exclusive, and you won't have as many um, dead money players um, that, that, frankly, make the first part of the week quite boring. Used to make it quite boring. Now (laughs) you have good matches early in the week.
4: Right. And the... um, the entry fee going up. Do you think that is going to have an effect?
5: Well, it, uh, not really, since it's a limited field. You know, right. if you were trying to open it up to, if you were trying to put two hundred and fifty people in there, yeah, it would have an effect. But what's the entry fee now? Seven fifty?
4: Seven fifty. Wasn't he went to a thousand, then he went right. down to seven fifty.
5: Yeah, I don't think. You know, he's been charging five hundred. I know since the late nineties, right? Put inflation. From fifteen years ago, on on five hundred dollars, you're going to get seven fifty at least. So I don't think it's a, it shouldn't be a scary move.
6: Right.
4: Well, I, I think uh, that's about all I've got for you. It was interesting to find out how you started in in the pool business, and you know you do a lot of great things, and I'm sure every myself and everybody thanks you for what you do. Um, I, I, I was thinking though. I, I see you all over the country for one reason or another. Right. Never seen you actually play a pool. Do you not play anymore, or do you just... I really
5: play? don't. I really don't. Since I moved to Georgia, and I've got the most wonderful pool table in the whole world. I mean, this... I've got a... It's, it's an early 1950s Brunswick anniversary. That's the one with the... Uh, whatever it is, Rosewood... Sides, not the metal sides, but the wood sides with the three white lines, and it looks like just it looks. That table it was redone recently, had the rails and everything redone by uh, uh, Mark uh, Gregory, and uh, had it recovered with 860 and all that. I mean, this this thing is shining like a new diamond, and I never play on it. It's just under a cover in my game room. I if I knew what I was, if I knew anything, I'd I'd sell it. But uh, it's. I don't have anybody to play here. There's, you know, I live out in the boonies. I'm eight miles away from the closest loaf of bread, and there's, wow. nobody, there's nobody to play pool with. There's no pool room. There used to be one about 30 miles away from me, but it closed. And that, by the way, is my biggest concern in pool: the rate at which pool rooms are closing, because that means that the amateur game is declining as well. If they don't, if a if a league
6: team loses
5: its pool room, you, you could lose a league team. So. That's one of my big concerns. But at any rate, uh, yeah, I really don't play anymore. Uh, my and even if I could play anymore, I couldn't play anymore because my eyes are all fuzzy. The edge of the ball now looks like a, a tennis ball. All fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: I, I'm not as old as you, but I can uh, I can relate to what you're saying. But somebody, uh, old friend, contacted me not too long ago. Uh, just last week, matter of fact, and, and said, hey, what are you doing? So, just, you know, doing my thing. And what's going on And you know, you got anything going on with the pool? Because he's a, he's, you know, he's a pool fan. Right. He said, I'm going to be in town. What, you know, what, what pool room do you usually go to? I, I, don't, I don't. I just don't go to pool rooms. Um, of course, this one to me is uh, about fifteen, twenty 20 miles away. So, one that's any good, that is. And I don't know, I think, and it shocked him that I don't go and play pool. And he might have played pool in a good two years. Um, but I'm still, I still love it. And, but I just thought I have the opportunities to play. And even when I'm, I'm being out on the tours, uh, with, you know, doing the exhibition tours and stuff, you know, I spend three weeks of my life in a minivan, a hotel, or a pool room. I was in the pool room, I was in there for four to eight hours at a time. Yeah. And then I when I came home, my lady Jessica, I think you met Jessica, she uh said, yeah, let's go play the pool. I'm like, Are you freaking kidding me? I don't the last thing I want to do right now is be in the pool room. And I think it's just kinda of stuck and I haven't played other one. Like, well I like if I did play. But I think if you can spend your life around around pool, the sometimes the eagerness to go and play isn't always there. Unless you can play real well, of course, and then you know makes you want to play more.
6: Right. right. But I do
4: see, uh, you know, Phoenix actually got a couple of good pool rooms. Um, but they give you know, so far away. It's, you know, it's a pain in the backside together. I wish I had one around the corner though. Yeah. Um but it's not, you know, you're what, 30 miles, where, where exactly are you?
5: I'm in, well, I'm actually, I'm in Polk County, Georgia, south of a little, little tiny town called Cedar Town, but what what you, probably the, what, the way most people can relate to it is, I'm an hour directly south of Chattanooga, Tennessee. i mean, in the foothills yeah. of Smoky Mountains,
4: beautiful, beautiful country. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I think on your A uh, uh, Billions uh, picture, is that a picture of your house?
5: Yes, that's my cabin, a log cabin.
4: And how, how many acres do you have there?
5: Uh, a little over 10.
4: And yeah, you uh, work but, 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 but all the time?
5: We back up to 200 acres of wilderness, so there's nobody around us.
4: And no, do you, we, you you work it?
5: Oh, yeah, we work it.
4: The whole ten acres?
5: No, no. We farm now. We're down to about oh, an acre. And of course, you know, we don't we don't sell the produce or anything. We give it away. We're, we're charity farmers. We give everything we grow to the Samaritan House Food Bank.
4: Yeah, that's what I that's what I heard. That's uh, that's real nice of you. We well, got know. to, uh, you know, and and I am thinking you're just a heartless old man. <laughs> Well, again, thanks a lot for everything you do, Jerry. I I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and uh, hopefully I'll be seeing you again soon sometime.
5: Yeah, well, we leave tomorrow for uh, Turning Stone, so everybody remember there'll be a live stream on AZB TV free of Turning Stone for the rest of this week, starting
4: on Thursday. That's awesome. You say we don't see many free streams anymore. Well, not of pro events, that is. Okay. Jerry, thanks again and I will speak to you again real soon.
5: Very good, Mark. Bye bye.
4: Well, that was Jerry Forsyth, the uh a man, the voice of the Moscone Cup and uh a guy who's just done an easy billions partner, who's done a, a hell of a lot of things for pool in general, and it was good to hear how he came about being involved because I I've known Jerry for a number of years and Never really knew. I knew he was involved in just about everything, but didn't know how. So, um, hopefully, uh, down the road, we'll have him back on. And that's it for this week. I hope everybody learned a little bit of something. And until next week, this is Mark Kentrell, the Legends and Champions Report on American Billiard Radio. Hey,
8: everybody. Welcome to another Go Play Pool featured room of the week. I'm talking to Steve Legault this week, and he is at the Black Diamond in Spokane, Washington. How are you doing, Steve?
7: I'm doing great, thanks.
8: Great. Good to have you with us. I appreciate you uh, getting on the phone with me. I know we've been playing phone tag, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So why don't you uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a history on the Black Diamond, and, and tell us a little bit about the room.
7: Uh, a little bit about the history. Um, basically, uh, my wife and I took it, took uh, an old dilapidated pool hall over in 2010, so that would have been about July 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was known as McHugh's Villiers. It had been there probably 15 years, um, but it was totally run down, and people weren't coming there anymore. So we mm-hmm. took it over uh, in July of 2010, and we uh, totally remodeled the place. Um, Started operating. Huh?
8: Well, I'm sure. I'm sure there were there were people that were definitely pleased to have someone, you know, actually running the show again and, and putting some some heart into it. So yeah, we get thanked all the time. Yes. <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell us uh, what kind of equipment you guys have in there? Uh,
7: we have uh, six uh, shelty tables. You know, they're bar boxes, seven foot tables, um, and then we have nine gold crown three tables, and, uh, you know, we we bought them with the business, um, so, but uh, we take and uh, re- recover the tables every year, so it's once a year we recover the tables, and we use um, championship uh, tour edition cloth, so all our tables are in a nice blue cloth.
8: Well, good. So do you guys have, you guys, I know I saw that you have uh, a whole bunch of leagues in your room. Why don't you let everybody
6: know
7: about that? Yeah, we have uh, in-house BCA leagues. Um, they they place you know, solely in our place. Um,
6: mm-hmm.
7: So they they're playing on, we usually have 12 teams on Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday. I think right now we have those three nights BCA. Um, then we also have a Valley League that plays there on Thursday night, so, and they play throughout the Valley at different bars. But uh, i say I think right now we have seven out of the 16 teams that play out of our place. Hi. Uh, we, have se- we have several APA um, teams that play out of our place. Uh, not that many, though. I- I'd say we probably have maybe five teams. It seems like there's a lot of APA teams in Spokane, but most of them are on the north side of town. Yeah, And then we've also got, I think we've got one Apple team that plays out of there and uh, one Napa team. I don't, I don't know exactly. But we could have two of those. I'm not sure.
8: <laughs> Hard to keep them all we straight have, after a while, huh? <laughs> yeah, we,
7: we have leagues in playing like uh, five nights a week pretty much, oh. and it's Sunday through Thursday. And we okay. don't have any leagues playing on Friday and Saturday because we like the uh, pool hall to be open for open play.
8: Sure, sure. You well, get a whole like-
7: different crowd on Friday and Saturday
8: night. <laughs> I bet, yeah, <laughs> De- definitely a, a different mentality going on for sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I noticed that the, you guys have a tournament coming up on the twenty seventh, a thousand dollar at, and why don't you to tell everyone a little bit about that? Um,
7: boy, you know, I think it's. <laughs> I say I think it's a nine ball tournament. I don't run the <laughs> tournaments. Um, we've got a guy that runs our tournaments, but I think that's going to be an open nine ball tournament. Um, and uh, he's not sure how many people would be going for it yet. He's hoping to get, you know, a good turnout, but it should be a pretty good one. Uh, I mean, our our, the, our best tournament we usually have is our three-day Labor Day tournament. Now, we've had, I think, four of them so far now. Um, uh-huh. And, and uh, you know, we've, attracted usually around 80 players that play in that. And they come from all over. They come from uh, Seattle, Montana, Canada. Some few come from California, also uh, different places in Washington.
8: Hi. Um, I'm, I've been hearing really great things about your room. Mark Contrell was raving about it, saying it was just gorgeous inside of it, that you guys have really done a good job of, of you know, refurbishing it. And, and, uh, so Mark you know, Contrell is running all in. right.
6: Yeah, I know, right? What
8: people say about him? Good guy, he's a good guy, definitely. Uh, so, so I was uh, I was browsing through your website and I came across your menu and it made me very hungry.
6: <laughs> Everything yeah. looks
8: delicious. I'm like, wow, some good eating right there. So uh, I was I was wondering, what's your your favorite item that, that you have on your menu? I
7: couldn't say i have a favorite because i don't eat the same thing every time i eat something right i'd like all our sandwiches we've got uh geez we got a lot of good sandwiches a good philly we've got a good um pastrami sandwich um let's see i can't remember what we got off the top of my head we've got some really good burgers uh we've got some great salads um We've also got a few good entrees, uh, salmon, steak. Off the top of my head, I can't remember everything we have, but I always order something different. A lot of times I'll have the, I'll have the special.
0: We, yes. we generally have
7: the special every day. Um, we've got a really good uh, lady that's running our kitchen, and she is the best, just the best awesome. cook.
8: Well, if she came up with your menu. Give her props because she's got some good food on there for sure. I was I was eyeing the chicken and pesto. It kind of inspired me to make dinner tonight. So. <laughs> all, all
7: right, yeah, yeah. yeah. My wife's actually responsible for the menu. Uh, when we got started, uh, you know, I knew we we didn't know crap about running a restaurant.
8: <laughs> yeah, we've never been
7: in the restaurant business, and um, she's never had to work commercially in our lives. We've been married thirty eight years, and uh-huh. So I said, well, you know how to cook. you you be in charge of the kitchen. So she came <laughs> up with the menu. Uh, we, had some, uh, we had some help from uh, some local chefs, but between them and her and uh, Mariah are, are in charge of our kitchen. And we came up with the menu. Oh,
8: well, it looks great. Um, but a lot um...
7: of the recipes are the responsibility of my wife. She's, she's the one who did that.
8: Well, tell her I want to come to dinner at her house in that case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, also, you guys uh, you guys have a full bar, full kitchen, and all that. So, you guys are, you know, really taking care of your players um Anything else? Uh, do you guys have any uh, other games or
7: anything? That, uh... Yeah, yeah, we've got. I think mean, we we've, we've got the usual. We've got the darts, and we've got one really nice shuffleboard table. It's a Rockola table. They only made that three years. 48, 49, and 50. Nice. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful table. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got a full bar. We have thirty three beer taps, and we're constantly rotating our beer. We're getting a reputation uh, for craft beer. Nice. Um, and we are promoting ourselves as an alehouse billiards place, so we, we've got that going. We've also got a um, well, we've got a dining area that's separate from the pool hall, and uh, we've got a lounge attached to that with a stage and a sound system and
0: uh, mm-hmm.
7: its own separate smaller bar. And uh, we do special events for individuals that want them or groups, um, and we also have. Uh, Regular music on Friday and Saturday night, uh, mostly solo or duo musicians. Awesome!
8: Well, it sounds like you've got every ankle covered. I'm, I really, I'm. We're gonna do some traveling here pretty soon to go visit rooms and stuff, and, and let people know about our company. But I'm definitely putting you on a list of, of places to go for sure. All right. where are you, where are you at? Uh, we are based out of Southern California, Orange County. Oh, okay. So you're not, yeah. you're a little ways. Yeah, a little bit, a little ways, but you know, <laughs> 20, twenty-three hour drive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure uh, if we if we decide to take a trek like that, it's gonna be it's gonna be like a, a month long thing because there's so many places to go on the way up. Just the West Coast It's crazy.
7: We're constantly uh, we're constantly you know working on it, changing it uh, up. We have got one thing I didn't say. We we are. Uh, kind of a sports bar. Also, we've got like seventeen TVs,
8: oh, seventeen so, flat
7: screens. So we're getting that angle too.
8: So you guys, you guys showed, you guys do the the USC and the fights and stuff and, yeah, and all that. Yeah, I don't have any
7: of those pay fights because uh, they're way too expensive. The yeah. quite, they want four grand for for me to show one of those fights.
8: I know, right? You gotta close down the whole place and and pray pray that. <laughs> Everybody shows up to watch the fight. <laughs> yeah, everyone can pay to watch too. All right, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we, it, too. Right? Well, everybody can get their football fix, though, right? <laughs> yep. All right, that's good enough for me.
6: <laughs>
8: All right, dude, well, why don't you let everybody know how they can get a hold of you and where you're located?
7: Okay, well, you're, we're, we're located at 9614 East Prague in the Spokane Valley, uh, so that's just outside of Washington. It's like 12 minutes from downtown. So if you come up to Spokane, you definitely want to check out the Black Diamond. Get your beer needs satisfied, your billiard yes. needs, and uh, it's a good place to hang out.
8: All right. What's your phone number?
7: It is 509
8: 891 8357. All right. Great. And uh, for our listeners, uh, the the Black Diamond will have a limited profile on the Go Play Pool app. So. Make sure you download that. It's free on Android and iOS, and you can check that out and and, um, get a hold of everybody down there. I I really appreciate you getting on the phone with me today, Steve, and and taking the time to let us know about the Black Diamond.
7: Well, thanks for thinking about us.
8: All right. Well, you take care, okay? Alrighty, thanks. You too. I'll be I'll be in touch with you soon. Alright, Steve. <laughs> okay, bye bye. Okay, and thank you everybody for listening to another edition of the Go Play Pool App featured room right here on American Familiar Radio.
9: Welcome to Q-Talk on American Billiards Radio. This is your host, Ricky Bryant, and here today with me is Tony Kaladarin. And I probably pronounce that terrible, Tony. Tony's with Tiger Q's. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Ricky. I really appreciate that. Well, tell me a little bit, how how long's Tiger Q's been around? Did they start out with Tiger Q's? I know a lot of people are familiar with Tiger tips as well.
10: No, it's a it's new project like anything else. We wanted to uh, just kind of diversify and do things and get into areas that uh, was a challenge for us. And um, Shaft was the start, and since it's woodworking, it kind of gradually went that direction, and here we are.
9: And and where are y'all located
6: at?
10: Uh, we're in uh, Burbank, California. We've been at the same location about 16, 17 years by now. Pretty much the same amount of the years we've been in the industry. And
9: y'all make the full diversity from pool cues to I know if I see three carom cues and, and break cues, jump cues, and, and, and tips, as I mentioned, and, and accessories. I've seen uh, different uh, bridge heads and things.
10: The uh, last time I was making or working on the catalog, um, i was surprised how many products we had you know um yeah tips were at the beginning and i'm looking at it today we have i don't know probably over 100 products uh and uh, we have still a lot of ideas and uh, technology related mostly that's the angle we're always going for we want to change things uh, we want to do it a little bit different and uh, when you look at it uh, you say hey that's not that tiger
9: well i remember the first tiger product that that caught my eye as I was getting back into to the pool uh, was the icebreaker queue the, the the first one and it had the the new uh, tip as well and that that was really innovative I think at the
0: time
10: that was a challenge to make and uh, because there were so many jump cues at the time and uh, of course the jump brakes we we wanted to do something because when we looked at most of the jump break cues and we felt, okay, you know, the cues do jump, but you, you can't really pick just the jump part of it and challenge a cue that's specifically made for the jump. So the, the goal was to make something that would challenge the jump cues, the break cues, or the jump break cues. It uh, took a while, but I think we got it done.
9: I think that that first product, that first product that I that I put in my bag, I played with and loved the way it played. It, uh, it hit a ton. First time I ever had to use a jump cue in a in a tournament. Uh, I was playing against a pro, and uh, he missed the jump shot. And boy, was I nervous when I had to break that one down pop mine and made my ball made me feel good made my whole tournament <laughs> oh, <very> <laughs> <good>. <laughs> <laughs> that
10: I jumped pro that's what we like to hear in fact uh, we heard every comment every suggestion ever since then and I think from the transition from Icebreaker to Icebreaker 2 was all of the guys that played with it tried it or wish there was something maybe a little different about it so on the Icebreaker 2 all of player suggestion went into it uh, which was a darker color make the cue seem like more solid so the rings won't show uh, the decal a little bit smaller Uh, but on top of that we went back and we just kind of look at what we had done in the past and what we had done we concentrated so much on the jump we forgot that at the end of the day you know it is still a great cue to start with uh, so on the second edition, it was perfecting the brake. How can we make the brake even more powerful? Uh, still keeping the control. So the addition to uh, the jump is still there. All the process of the jump uh, with two handles is still there. But it just brakes better. We laminated the body as well on top of it. Uh, just like the shafts. So we think we have a good product.
9: Well, and, and I've hit with, with the shafts that y'all make as well, y'all have low, defects, low deflection shafts and can you explain the, your thoughts behind that? Okay,
10: uh, I'm old school a little bit, so in the five years of making shafts, we we didn't go towards that direction. Uh, it was just the, at the time, called Tiger X, then of course followed by Tiger X Ultra. Um, we wanted more of the high-performance version of your standard conventional shaft characteristics keeping the shaft solid was a key point. So, um, it, it, you know, it interested a lot of the players that just wanted to stick with what the normal maple shaft does. But with the market today and a lot of the low deflection shafts out, we needed to get into that market as well. But the key of everything was keeping it solid. Giving the player the cubo control that no low deflection shaft had done in the past and um, it Took us a while, but uh, I think we got it down Today we have the uh, what we call ultra xld which is the low deflection version of our original shaft uh, which is called ultra x today and uh, the last one uh, called pro x which has um, 1175 tip size with a gradual taper. I can comfortably call it one of the lowest deflection shafts in the market today. And yet, there is absolutely no other shaft that's low deflection that will match the consistency and the solid feel of these shafts with much better control.
9: Well, when I was at your booth earlier today, I heard you explaining to another customer about the difference in the no deflection shaft for three cushion and he was thinking he could use that with with pool and and your explanation on that was fantastic
10: yeah it's it's well we have to be careful with the terminology and we don't want to sell anything that's just based on words anyone who has dealt with us in the past knows that uh, we're more dead on with what we say and when we say something it's done and it, it is what it is uh, yeah it was um, we made the pro x for karen players um using pretty much the same taper just a little bit oversized diameter at 12 and a quarter which is uh, accepted in the industry for billiards and um, what we found out because the balls were much heavier any remaining no matter how minor it may be in pool for a correct shaft, um, it was eliminated. So, it was suggested by the players to us that very easily and comfortably we should call that shaft another flexion shaft. So, with their suggestion and request, we were very comfortable in saying, hey, we have another flexion shaft.
9: Well, and also, uh, when we get into the the extra items or Q queuing items, I know you guys make a, a nice tip tool that I carry in my case, and, and it uh, I can shape a dime, I can shape a nickel, it's all there, all built into one tool, it's really nice, and then in bridges, and, and people that know me know that I collect bridges, and I'm also a manufacturer of, of the extension bridge, and I use other people's heads, I like the things that Tiger has done with the leather and things on, on their bridge heads.
10: Well, what we found over time that we, whether we thought about that or not, we are dealing with a lot of the players that have been around for a little bit longer than just the beginner that's starting. Our product seems to be targeting almost like the average plus player. And most of those guys already either are in the market of buying a new queue, maybe more expensive queue, or they already have one. So it's very important whatever we do that the care about their product is on top so if it takes leather that's going to make it uh, so be it we're not going to hold back Uh, we like genuine products we like what we feel is the best enhancement for in each category it's gonna be a little more expensive at the end of the day it's okay we can live with that you know as long as it's under the best category
9: We're going to take a break right now. This is Q-Talk on American Bigger's Radio. Welcome back to Q-Talk on American Bigger's Radio. I'm sitting here with Tony from Tiger Q's and uh, we were talking about bridges and what a great job they're doing on those, as well as the great shafts and cues they make. I've got a new bridgehead coming out. It's called is it the Flame.
10: Just plain Tiger bridgehead. You know, I thought about that. Okay. Like it looks like a flame. I was. Uh, I've had many suggestions to call it maybe like a Black Flame or something like that, and I was just that close in doing so, and then at the end of the day, I decided. You know what? made by tiger many people just end up saying hey give me that tiger bridgehead so might as well just keep it simple so i called it a tiger bridgehead
9: also the other item that i saw at the uh, bca trade show this year was a new innovative extension to add on to queues
10: very excited about that we've we've taken a long time you know we haven't done we've been in the cube business maybe last six years I want to say already five to six years could have done it but I didn't really have the sense at the time the personal feel what exactly you know the player wants from an extension I mean okay fine it sounds plain but when you get into it and research it it has to be so solid and part of the queue that you shouldn't feel there's another part that's connected to it and yet what i've saw in the market uh, surprised me uh, that okay it's there it extends but uh, it didn't seem as solid connection wise wear and tear wise so it was very important that we created something that kept the balance proper uh, it was as solid as it can be and it was very fast you know easy in and out
9: well, I know in my experience using extensions is that the, uh, they'll typically add weight. And that was one of the things that impressed me with yours. Tell us a little bit about the.
10: We went with, uh, with an aluminum. You know, you won't see much in the industry. We tried wood. Uh, we have plenty, definitely, that we could have used. But um, for consistency purposes, for weight, and just overall construction uh, aluminum seemed to be the right product and uh, we basically wanted to keep the weight under five ounces and we ended up actually at four and a half uh, it's about 11 and a quarter inch long piece uh, without the bumper uh, but we kind of did the first ver- first version uh, with The connection being what was out there already, Uh, and then we found out I guess there was a patent uh, on that and not having conflict, plus the wear and tear, maybe the way we made it, whatever it might have been, did not please us. Uh, So we've just put our heads together and the current uh, connection was so different and better improved so much that uh, I said, hey, maybe we should patent it so it's right now it's in the pending stage very excited very happy and um, already got a lot of good feedback here at the show at uh, BCA Yale and one of which was um, the draw you know uh, I was told that any extension that's in the market today if you're drawing the ball uh, it just dies uh, it really doesn't move and uh, of the guys who told me that got a chance to try our extension and to their surprise they drew like uh, they had no extension on so i got really good comments one of which was by far the best extension they ever used
9: i noticed how snug it fits how easy it is to get on and off and i've seen i've seen even pros struggle with some of the after fit ones that slide on over the butt everybody worries about well, I don't want something sliding over the butt of my cue, damage my cue, scratch up my my custom cue, uh, or even my non-custom cue, they don't want, you don't want to scratch it up and damage it and make it look bad because I used an extension, and that was one of the things that really impressed me, and my first thought was, well, this is only going to fit Tiger, but then I was told that there's progression, there are some other ones that does fit out there, and, uh, there's going to be more in the future as y'all work through things
10: that's very much true uh, at the moment uh, our joint or actually our weight build system is 5 8 18 so any queue that happens to use that size will fit uh, anything else there's another size i believe it's 3 8 18 commonly used uh, with a lot of uh, custom queues and some of the manufacturers that's coming up soon hopefully next uh, maybe two to three months we'll start making the adapters for that size as well so it'll be a very easy fix anyone at home with a flat screwdriver will have a chance to put that on within a minute um, everything else up to the manufacturer You know, I've talked to a few already which uh, they were very much interested uh, given some time the licensing will be available so if any manufacturer just happens to want it with a certain fee uh, you know, we'll let them do it too so everyone can be uh, part of it.
9: Well, and I noticed uh, a new queue in your booth here at the uh, show, and that was a jump cue, which also seemed to incorporate some of this technology of the extension
10: in it. Very true. It's like, um, you find a style either it happens by itself or where it's coming from I don't know but when you find it, you kind of keep it so the consistency was very important and the idea and uh, the improvisation if you want to call it kind of worked for a jump cue because the idea was to keep the handle light which had already worked for the extension so why shouldn't have worked for the jump we still use the aluminum handle for the jump tubes Uh, To keep the cost proper, we didn't want it to go the laminated rod for the shafts. It it was not necessary. The the technology had to do with the front and There are still things going on in the shaft that, um, you know, we're still tweaking things here and there. And yet I've gotten a really, really good response here. Uh, More so than I I was anticipating for a, a, a new product that was only finished maybe two days prior to the show but i've been very pleased with the feedback Um, the goal is to make things easier but to do it again we always pay attention about the keyboard control so the jump is no exception you can draw you can put any kind of english position safety while you jump uh, it will back it up if you have the capability this is the one
9: well, when we talked about the extension and and the handle on the jump cube being aluminum, uh, kind of describe to to our listeners out there so that they're not thinking of just the nice. I know the first picture people have in their mind of aluminum is nice, slick surface. This is a. Uh,
10: oh, we went with uh, the same finish we did for the extension. Uh, we we knurl. We do everything in house. By the way, we the all um, days some of the parts were made. By us manufacturers local guys we get business too but we we have both few extra machineries so we like to keep control on things so all of it done in house um, so it's got the neural We want to have uh, the feel uh, a total control whether you want to slip, whether you want to have more grip and then it's anodized uh, so it's got a, a black color on it uh, one of the best uh, anodized processes we picked and then we laser our name on it, so you get nice little uh, silverish kind of a, a contrast on black, which looks good. And uh, I don't know, I had this name in my mind a long time ago, so there was not even a question of what it was going to be called. And we called it uh, Wings. Wings by Tiger.
9: Well, from watching some of the guys jump with it, it, it does put wings on on that cue ball. It was it was jumping and controlling and. And I even saw you making some challenge matches over there with uh, people walking up to get to even stroke and cue with it to see how much control you could have with the ball.
10: Very true, very true. When you believe in your product, when you know the capability, uh, I can challenge it to anyone.
9: Yeah, now that jump cue, has a, is that a standard phenolic tip or is there a different tip on there?
10: Well, the icebreaker is the name of the tip and the concept itself, we used it uh, just as a tip, we use it as our brake cue, uh, brake jump cues, so it wasn't going to be uh, a second uh, option for this, it's still the same concept, it's got the uh, leather in the center of it, about 9 millimeter. Uh, it's a laminated piece of tip, which is uh, uh, the tiger jump brake, all leather tip inserted in there so the sweet spot's a little bit bigger you have a little extra margin of error so this way uh, it minimizes you know if you're off center a bit it's okay you know you'll still get the action the release there's enough timing to add that little extra draw you're looking for uh, or put a little extra spin uh, while not losing any kind of power when you're jumping Uh, but when you're doing more close jump shots then uh, i feel like Most average players, including myself, uh, need the help of that little phenolic. So definitely uh, you have that perfect balance in this.
9: Well, on the other side of that, speaking about the non-average players, I know uh, you've got a couple of them that are sponsored by you guys Mm -hmm. that are out there that love shooting with your cues. Why don't you tell us their names and everybody will recognize them and then they'll know for for sure when they're shooting Tigers.
10: Dennis Arcola is one. I mean uh, he's, he's been the guy to go to uh, last two two and a half years. And if you look at Dennis's record, he's a talented, great, talented player, natural. Um, whether we've been lucky, fortunate or maybe it's the equipment, you know I, I want to be modest. And yet when I look at the records of some of these players, even for billiards, Pedro, Pedro Buena is another one that um, you can look at his record. The time they've been with Tiger, uh, their point average, number of tournaments they won, had doubled or tripled uh, versus the years before that. So the equipment does come in effect, no matter how good of a player you are. But we're definitely very proud to have Dennis and all of the other players. Whether it's Warren. Uh, some of the girls, uh, Christina de la Garza, who's in Europe these days. Uh, there's a bunch of them out there that we're proud to work with and they are genuinely like the product.
9: Uh, and even in the trick shot arena you have...
10: Of course, Stefano Pelinga has been a personal good friend of mine for many years. Uh, and every time you ask him, he'll probably tell you it's been the shaft and the, uh, the tip combination that made him a champion because he was always that close, but never <laughs> there. And as soon as the change was made with um, his personal favorite is the sniper tip with the uh, ultra shaft. And uh, both times, or I believe it's, it's been three-time year time champion, uh, he's won them with uh, that combination, so he he won't let it go. <laughs> That's his personal uh, favorite.
9: Now, it, outside of sponsoring just individual players and uh, Tiger, is there Tour or anything that you are affiliated with?
10: Well, there's plenty, actually, not only in U.S., but uh, worldwide. We're being involved with many, and that's one of the areas I'm trying to concentrate in helping these tours, to help the players, you know, create more tour stops, just opportunities for people to play. Um, that goes for men and women it opens, uh, whether it's a new Tiger Florida tour, um, there's so many out there, we're involved, Tommy Kennedy has one in Florida, we're involved with that as a title sponsor, there's one in um, Europe nowadays, uh, uh, we're working with the Korean company as we speak, uh, they're very well, uh, you know, uh, put together company and they're very interested in Tiger cues in the billiards uh, and they claim it's the best ever made. And I would like to work with people who genuinely believe in your product. And that's been the case with players and uh, companies alike so far uh, from our experience. It just makes things so much easier knowing that uh, whatever it is you do, it comes from the heart, both ways.
9: Well, Tony, are there any other products that I've missed or anything new coming that you're able to talk about you'd like to cover?
10: Actually, you have. Um, this is a little bit personal to my heart because when you're, and I still feel like we just came into this industry, I was talking to one of the makers that's been around a long time, and when I say long, it's maybe 18, 19 years, and that is long, When I, when I set 18 19 years i realized well you know what we've been in the industry about 17 years so yeah you know we can call ourselves maybe one of the older companies and i still feel like i just came into the new company and i have so much to offer uh, we have a new series of cues that will come out in two months officially i am promoting it here just to collect some feedback it's called x2 series why it's personal because we want to find our own identity as far well as the cosmetics and technology of the Cues, how we want to put our stuff out there. And so when you look at it, you'll say, hey, you know what, that's the Tiger Cube. And X-Cue, I think it's going to bring a lot of that into the industry where it's it doesn't look like any of the Cues out there. You haven't seen anything similar, but at the end of the day, it's how it's put together and what it's going to do on the table. It's it's super solid. It's got the X5 construction. When I say X5, basically it's our shafts as a core Uh, and outside is the same exact thing with a lot of exotic wood and the way it's assembled. So basically it's two Xs. That's why I call it X2 and it's just the beginning. It's going to take us in so many different directions. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's how it's going to play. And when you get an opportunity to do so, try it it's going to blow your mind
9: absolutely looking forward to that well i'm going to wrap it up for this segment of american beards radio and q talk thank you for being here tony thank you Ricky. really
10: appreciate that enjoyed it